So this weekend really is huge in the life of our church. Uh, this weekend, we break ground on our Shea campus here with our redesign, where over the next 24 months, we're going to be adding a new 300-seat chapel right out front here. We're going to build a new student ministry center on the other side of our campus. We're going to build a new children's ministry center about a year from now, in which will be the centerpiece of our campus. We're going to redesign this worship center here with the inclusion of 400 new seats. And then we're going to increase fellowship and relational space with our new cafe. We're going to double our special ministry space. We're going to then have an entire enrichment class site here on our campus back toward the parking lot. And we're going to do all of this on the same 18 acres that we currently have. It's an ambitious plan. We believe bathed in prayer and led by God, and over 1,650 families have been a part of this financially, and we believe many more, hopefully prayerfully, as we move on as a church. And yet with all of the groundbreaking and construction that will begin this month, what we don't want to miss today, and venue and cactus, we all don't want to miss this, is why we are doing this. The core compelling reason that we're going to be going through this next two and a half year journey. Because I hope we all know it's not about bricks and mortar. It's not about new programs. It's not about nice buildings, though we're going to have that. When we built our Cactus Campus, we spent some money on redoing that old church there, and they have a really nice facility now, but we made the point then, it's not about that. No, what we need to realize is at the end of the day, it's still simply about God and people, connecting God and people in a lifelong, eternity-determining faith relationship with Jesus Christ. As we made very clear last winter when we started this journey, this is about leaving a legacy, reaching our community, and impacting our world. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but the Christian church now for about 2,000 years has engaged in a somewhat covert debate uh, when it comes to what church is about. And the debate concerns whether the church should be about evangelism or discipleship. Are we about evangelism or discipleship? We really debate it internally. Simply put, do we as followers of Jesus who make up local congregations exist for those outside the fold or do we exist for each other? Are we about outreach or inreach? Or to give you an analogy, are we a hospital for the hurting and spiritually disenfranchised or are we a gym? that exists to train those who want training, complete with personal trainers that we call pastors. Which is it? Is it discipleship, strengthening and building up the already convinced, or evangelism, reaching out to the unconvinced and helping them realize God's love? And Christians tend to fall on one side of this debate or the other. I hear it all the time. Weekly, somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, we need better discipleship programs. Or, Pastor, we need to do a better job at outreach. I, I see people and meet people that have a particular passion for one side of this fence or the other. So we have a church, and I use capital C, a generic church in America, that tends to have people that are either for discipleship or they're for evangelism. But rarely do people understand that the answer to the question 
of is it discipleship or is it evangelism is what? Say it with me. Both or yes. That's exactly right. It really is both. I know we all tend to have different temperaments and passions and experiences and bents and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, no matter what you're bent, the reality is God says, as you read his word and you've understood Jesus's marching orders to the church, you will land on the fact that God wants his church to be about both outreach as well as in reach. Jesus couldn't have been more clear. Look up here on the screen and look at some of his very last words to us in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. These are literally Jesus' marching orders to the church. And he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, it's fascinating about Jesus' words here when you look closely at them is that really both outreach and inreach are contained in these marching orders. I mean, Jesus says, go, meaning into all nations, all, it's the Greek word ethne, all ethnic groups, go, and what? Baptize them. Now, now who do you baptize? You baptize those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the obvious context there is outreach. We're to go into all the world, which includes our community, and tell people about God's love in Christ, and then watch them get baptized as they come to faith in Christ. That's the first part of the equation. But then, not missing the whole, he says, make disciples. How do you do that? Teaching people to obey all that he has commanded. So we're to secondly then, once people have been won to Christ, we're to build each other up in our faith so that at the end of the day, when people say, what are you guys about? We say outreach and inreach. Or as we've said for years, we're to win, build, send. We win people to faith in Christ, we build them up in their faith, and then we send each other back out into our spheres of influence to be winners and builders ourselves. And so when we ask the question, is the church a gym or a hospital, it's really cool. We're both like wrapped up into one. And I would submit to you that nowhere in culture does that occur today. Like if you want heart surgery, you're going to go to the hospital, but you're not going to go to the hospital to get a workout. If you want a workout, you're going to go to the gym, but you're not going to go to the gym to get heart surgery. Only God says that his church is kind of this schizophrenic mix of both, that we exist to both reach people who have yet to come to Christ as well as help each other in all of our lives, spiritually and what have you, we're all that wrapped up into one. And then fascinating, just so that we're convinced this is a right understanding of Jesus' words, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 46, and then Acts chapter 4, verses 2 and 4, because after Jesus ascended into heaven, after he gave these marching orders, and then the church began on the day of Pentecost, look at how it describes this very first Christian church in Jerusalem. Look at Acts 2. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Pause right there. So that's the discipleship part. 
man, these guys were serious about pouring into each other relationally through teaching of the word and prayer and having communion and sharing stories and supporting each other. I mean, they were an in-reach group. But just so that we understand that they uh, caught the other side of Jesus's words, look at Acts 4. It says, and the religious leaders were greatly annoyed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So there's the outreach part. They were preaching the resurrection of Jesus and even the fact that as believers, we will be resurrected in the last times after we die, when we go to heaven. They were preaching and teaching that and they were doing it open air. They were doing it out in the marketplace. They were even inviting unbelievers, we have evidence, into their believing community to hear and experience God as well. It's a direct application of what Jesus had been talking about. Is it in-reach or outreach? Is it a gym or a hospital? The answer is clear, yes. It is both. And any biblically-oriented Christian church must have both of these things as a part of their vision and mission if they ever want to be some, an institution blessed by God or a people blessed by God. And this is why we are engaging in Compelled by Grace. Please see this, folks. Cactus and Venue, please see this as well. We're not just building buildings. We're not going to start some new programs. But we're not just going to have a couple of more campuses. It's much more rich than that. We're simply creating more room and spurring each other on toward the vision that God has for us, namely to reach and help those around us. And so that's really the theme of today and this weekend, reach and help. We want to reach lost ones that are pining for God and are thirsty for him, but have not yet found what their souls are longing for. We want to reach them, but then we want to help each other in our times of need and be the church to each other and even to those in our spheres of influence. We want to reach and help. And once you and I get this, that the church is equally about in-reach and outreach, what we need to realize next, and you don't want to miss this, is that God's plan for this to happen simply involves you and me being the body of Christ and taking the risk to intentionally and relationally reach out to those in our spheres of influence. And as we share our journey with them, wherever you happen to be in your spiritual journey with Christ, and as you also share God's story with them, the story of Christ and his forgiveness on the cross that he offers us, as you share that with those around you, it's amazing what God will do with that kind of process. I'm telling you, it all depends on you and I as the church being willing to relationally reach out to people already in our spheres of influence without which don't expect all the things that Jesus talked about to happen. You know, when I first became a, a, a pastor a few years back, I uh, eventually went to the senior pastorate, and, and as I was in my early pastorate, I, I, I noticed that there were a couple of myths in play among evangelical Christians back in the 90s that I think has, has sort of started to work itself out, but I think still is somewhat alive in the church today. 
The first myth that I noticed in the pastor when I was right out of seminary was the myth in which people in the pews basically believed that it was the pastor's job to do all the inreach and all of the outreach. I'm telling you, it was as clear as the noonday sun. In my first pastor, I had people come up to me and say, welcome, you know, young man to the pastor. We're really excited that you're here. And, you know, we're excited for you to do all the pastoral care and lead all the small groups and do the administration and, and what's your evangelism strategy and all of this. I'm like, I don't know. You know, the, the reality is, is that I was just taught for three years in my theological education, 1 Peter chapter 2, the priesthood of all believers, and that we're all priests and ministers. We're all in this together. And I had actually people who would overtly say to me, they'd literally say, well, you know what? You're on the payroll. I, I mean, we got day jobs. I mean, it's your job to do these things. And I'd sit there and go, well, I'm out of here. I'm like, I, I just don't, I, I, that, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up to use the two spiritual gifts out of 22 of them that God has given me, teaching and leadership, to do what? To help all of us bind, be bound together as the body of Christ and together engage in inreach and outreach. And you see, this leads to the second myth that I think it still exists somewhat in the church, and that is that if you finally don't believe the first myth that it's just the pastor's job, but it's all of our job, then the second myth comes into play, and that is that people believe that outreach and inreach involves superhuman persuasion techniques in order to reach somebody for, with God's truth and love. In other words, you believe that you need to master the four spiritual laws. You need to take a Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people. You need to go get some seminary education so that you can become a theologian. And I'm telling you, folks, that's all a myth. Listen, God's plan to accomplish inreach and outreach is not complicated. It's about you and I reaching out and reaching over to those already in our spheres of influence, our coworkers, friends, neighbors, fellow church members, service providers, and relating to them with just a little bit of intentionality involved as we share our story and God's story, the gospel, and then let God do, because it's all up to him, what only he can do. Uh, Bill Hybels at the famous Willow Creek Community Church calls this a walk across the room. He says it's not complicated. It's just a believer willing to take a walk across the room towards someone in need. Or maybe in our context, a coffee at Paradise Bakery or a discussion over a fence line or maybe walking to the next cubicle or, or, or the person with your locker at school. Whatever it might be, it's just a walk across the room as you and I relationally reach out and reach in as we share Jesus with those around us. You know, in preparation for this morning, I thought, because I've been thinking about this for months now, I thought it would really be cool if we could show you how this works in, in, in true life. And I have so many stories that I could share with you because in many ways, Scottsdale Bible has been a church on the move for, for decades now. And, and so I decided to capture just one of them. And about a week ago, I, I took a journey into Scottsdale to somebody's private home and we interviewed him and his neighbor about the journey that they've had together when it comes to what we're talking about here today. So look up here on the screen. Let me share with you their story and then we'll come back and talk about how this applies to you.
So here I am on Shea Boulevard, right in front of our wonderful church, where 40,000 cars drive by every day. That's a lot of people that God wants us to touch with the gospel of Christ. And one of the ways that that happens, really the primary way that happens, is through relationships. So I want you to take a journey with me into Scottsdale. I'm gonna introduce you to two of my friends. They uh, both have been on very different spiritual journeys that intersected, and they had an incredible influence on each other. And uh, one of them knew the Lord, and one of them didn't. And yet in a very organic, non-threatening, highly relational way, one of them who we'll introduce you to came to the Lord. I think the process of becoming friends um, uh, just happened over time. I and mean, we, we, you know, we lived across the street from each other. Now you live next, next to door each to other, each but other. Initially, yeah. you were yeah. across the street. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I'm amazed at the number of people that don't know their neighbors. Do you remember um, how we started to become friends? I remember one day Kennedy was a newborn and we were putting her in the car seat for the first time. And we couldn't figure out how to work that thing. And you and Julie and Lauren were walking down the street mm -hmm. and you observed us and you, you ran over and helped us buckle Kennedy in. Mm -hmm. And it just went from there. So you're an ENT doc operating on people every week and you didn't know how to use a car seat. Is that what we hear you saying? You should see me try to sew a button on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So what made you invite Mitch to your Bible study? Scottsdale Bible Church had challenged the congregation to start a, a small group huh. with their neighbors in their neighborhood. And so we decided to do uh, something crazy and just start a small group and invite everybody, whether they were believers or not. All your neighbors? Yeah, all of our friends in our group of friends. Wow. And um, we went around the room and we said, introduce yourselves. And if you feel uh, like you are led to, you can briefly share your testimony uh, when it came to Mitch. Um, Mitch was awesome. He told us a little bit about himself and then he said, and as far as my testimony goes, I just don't have one yet. Wow. And I heard the word yet. Yeah. My experience was much more methodical. Mm -hmm. Some people will come to Jesus Christ because of a trauma and, and God will put his hand in their lives and pick them up. Mine was, um, was much more gradual than that. I hear you often, Jamie, talk about March 31st, 1981, or I don't remember the March date. 11th, March 11th, 1981. March, but it's amazing you remember it was March of 81. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's that lightning bolt of a day in your life. And I didn't have a lightning bolt of a day. And for um, all of those people that are where I was, I sympathize with them in some respects because you'd like it to be a lightning bolt. But that's not what it was for me. Um, you know, I think about my spiritual journey, which is today that, that I am absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And um, it's, that, it's that constant discussion with God that has caused me to, to be where I am today. And that was, an, that was an evolution. That was not a lightning bolt. It's hard to postulate this, but if you hadn't met him, what do you think your life would have been like spiritually? Well, given how much it's grown spiritually as a result, I, I can't imagine that it could have been uh, nearly as deep of a relationship. Yeah, that's one thing I love about you guys' journey is that, and I guess we don't want to miss this, is that you rallied around the book and you discovered truth together, truth that eventually led you to your salvation. Yeah. And, and that's a powerful thing. And I think that's really instructive for our people to realize, again, because that gives God 
the ability to do what he wants to do when you rally around his truth, wouldn't you say? Sure, yes. We're in a huge spiritual journey over the next few years as a church that we've called Compelled by Grace. It's about us caring enough for a lost world to do what you two have done, and that is just to reach out in an organic, highly relational way to those around us. What would you say to our church about that would help spur them on in that and encourage them in that? I would encourage everybody at Scottsdale Bible Church to consider stepping out of their comfort zone. God will bless you as you step out and let him take you on that unimaginable adventure that only he has in mind for you. Uh, I would answer by saying it's somewhat of a challenge to the congregation, and that is um, it's important to go to church, but is equally important or more important to dive deep into the Bible on a personal level. I'm amazed at how many people don't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ that have never once picked up the Bible. And the stronger we are in our understanding of the Bible, the more prepared we are to be able to have conversations with those people that are not. Yep. Well, and, and you know, I appreciate you mentioning the difference between your conversion and mine. I, I've appreciated over the years a lot, Mitch, that God works in so many broad, wonderful ways that sometimes the salvation experience is a singularity like it was for me. I mean, a moment in time, I can tell you the day, the prayer I prayed and all of that. And that's a Pauline conversion. I mean, there was Paul on the road to Damascus and it's a blinding light, boom. But then there's what I call a Petrine conversion or a Peter conversion in which Peter kind of slid into the kingdom of God. Peter spent three years with Jesus and tried to pinpoint exactly when his conversion was. Some people, they can, you know, you know, who do you say I am? I, you know, the son of the living God. Uh, but then the next moment, Jesus calls him Satan, you know, and so Peter obviously doesn't understand all of it at that point. And what I love about the way Jeff has approached you is instead of Jeff approaching you as a guy where your conversion had to be a singularity. Jeff allowed the journey to be the journey for you and was real comfortable just to allow God to be God, but also kept, you know, encouraging you. And what I love about your guys' story is just the fact that, Jeff, you cared enough to reach out to a neighbor. You cared enough to reach out to a friend. And the intentionality was I care about this guy's soul. I care about him and his family. And I'm going to allow God to do what he does as Mitch sees Jesus in me. And all I can say is that God's constantly doing that in people's lives, and it worked here. Yeah. And, and I would have to say, too, to be fair, that I wouldn't be where I am today without Mitch. Mm. We have definitely sharpened each other over the years. Awesome. And, and Mitch is, uh, in fact, I'd, I'd venture to say Mitch has sharpened many. And I've just been so blessed to be a part of it over the years. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. So there you have it. I just simply wanted you to see that when you and I get a little bit intentional with the relationships that God has already given us, God is in that. He loves all people. He loves your neighbors. He loves your friends. He loves your coworkers. And he simply wants you to reach out to them with some intentionality and introduce Jesus Christ to them. And you don't need to be afraid of that. It's an organic process that God will empower using your personality, your temperament. And that's what Compelled by Grace is all about. So let's break down for a second what's happening in, in, in this story. Jeff, the guy on the right in the black shirt, is a member of Scottsdale Bible Church about a decade ago. He, he's a guy that has a full-time day job, a doctor in our community, raising a wonderful family here in the Valley of the Sun. 
And he hears his church, it was Daryl at that time, tell him to reach out, to start a Bible study in his community, but not just one for, you know, everybody that's already convinced, but even invite neighbors and friends that might be seeking. And Jeff and Jennifer decide to do that. Jeff is not seminary trained. He went to Purdue and then Wake Forest Medical School, but he knows enough Bible study to be able to do a, a, a home Bible study. And in fact, he would actually share the leadership of this eventually with the other members of the group. So he invites Mitch and Julie, they attend, and for the next few years, because it many times takes years, they all journey together through friendship and talking and even hiking together and doing things together. And over time, because most of the time it takes time, God works in and through his word as well as through the relationships and the light goes on in Mitch's mind and heart. And though Jeff was very nervous at first, you heard him say that, he had the fears we would all have, nevertheless, he took a step of faith he loved the people in his neighborhood, got a little intentional, and even learned to relax in the process. And aren't you glad that he did? Because you see, as we pointed out in the, in the video, and this was huge to me in our 40-minute interview with them, sometimes salvation is a singularity, as it was for me. I mean, it was not hard to lead me to Christ. Let me just say it that way. I was a messed up teenager getting involved in a lot of things that I shouldn't have been involved in. I was very, very ripe fruit for the picking. I was very ready. So when somebody explained the gospel to me, as my friend Tom Schrader would say, I had a lot of empirical evidence that I was a sinner. And so when I heard the good news of Christ, I was ready. And so on March 11th, 1981, I came to Christ. But you see, the gospel is the kind of thing where it's not a cookie-cutter approach as one accepts Jesus. There are very many ways people come to Christ, just as there are many different ways that we all function in our normal, everyday relationships. And Mitch had a much more methodical, process-oriented, over-time experience in coming to Christ. And the point that I wanted you to see is that Jeff was in that process with him. And you didn't get to hear a lot of the interview, but it was amazing the things that happened over a few year period of time. There was one point where Mitch was not a believer yet, and Jeff asked him to lead the study. And it was on Jonah. And Jeff said, you know, Mitch, next Saturday night, I'd like you to come and just lead the study on Jonah. And it was a risk, but it was a, an amazing time. Mitch came and said, you know, before I had to study the book of Jonah, I always thought it was a fable. Like, you know, kind of like, you know, Homer's Odyssey. I mean, how can this be real? He said, the more I read it, the more that I read what people say about it, I realized that it was actually a true story that showed a miracle of God as he intervened in the natural realm. And Jeff's going, yes, he's starting to see it. And then about a year later, Mitch said to Jeff after one of the studies, one particular night, it was a moment in time, he said, you know, I think I've gotten to the place where I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And Jeff was just reveling inside. And then Mitch said, but I can't believe he's everybody's savior. I can't believe he's for everyone. And Jeff was like, he's getting there. He's on the journey. And then to the point where today, as you see him, he's a part of our church. He's, an ab he's absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is not just his savior, but the savior for the whole world. Uh, but it took time and it took a willing Christ follower being able and willing to journey with him through all the ups and downs. 
And I'm telling you, that's how outreach and inreach works. But it takes you and I. And so here's what I wonder. Here's what I actually dream about in my off time, and that's this. What would happen if 6,000 people who regularly attend Scottsdale Bible Church between Shea Campus, our venue, and Cactus Campus, we have about 6,000 people on any given week. What would happen if those 6,000 people who regularly attend Scottsdale Bible would do exactly what we just saw? What would happen if each and every one of us would identify just one to four individuals in our life and get this, begin to pray for them and begin to pray about God's movement in their lives, whether they are a believer who needs help or an unbeliever, a seeker who needs to be reached. We would begin with prayer. And then as God leads, because these are people that are in our lives, we'd be willing to walk across the room as he leads us to. What would happen if every one of us identified one to four people? What happens if we became so compelled by grace that we began to reach out and reach in relationally one life at a time to those in our spheres of influence? I'm telling you, I tell you what would happen. What would happen over the next couple of years throughout this building program or process would be nothing more than the most amazing spiritual journey we've ever taken as a church. I, I got to tell you something I repented of this past summer. When I uh, got done with doing our Compelled by Grace campaign last spring, I was very fatigued and very tired. Then I went on a mission trip uh, over to Poland, and I was very tired after coming back to that, preached a few weeks here in June, and then went away for a few weeks. As I was walking the, uh, along the river in Chagrin Falls, my hometown, just praying one afternoon, I, I kept saying to God as I was talking to him that, God, I just need you to strengthen me so I can get through this next two years. That was my desperate prayer. Just help me to get through it because I'm not sure I have it in me. The campus disruption and, you know, people that don't understand and people that, that you know, the things that all, God, just get me through it. After a couple of days of praying that, I, I, I felt the Lord speak to my spirit. and It was a very convicting thing. He basically said to me, since when have I ever asked you to get through something, Jamie? You're to live a victorious Christian life. You're to live a life of faith and excitement as you lead people to follow me. And we don't get through things. We grow through things. That's what I heard God say to my spirit. And I repented in that moment. I said, God, I will never say again, except by illustration, that I hope we get through this next two years. Because see, what God did in my spirit over the summer is that he said, Jamie, we're not going to build these buildings and start these, these new venues and all that and then, and then hope that we can reach some people. No, we're going to reach people right from day one. Amen to that? I mean, that's what God's calling us to do. You know, I thought of the first century church. They never let a little bit of disruption in their physical locale stop them from reaching people. Did you know that? I mean, as I read earlier in Acts chapters 2 and 4, when they first started to tell people about Jesus, they had full access to the temple. And eventually, as you guys know, because you've read the book of Acts, eventually you guys know this because you've read the book of Acts, you know that they got kicked out of the temple in fairly short order. And instead of saying, oh gosh, we can't tell anybody about Jesus anymore, they said, well, let's continue to tell them and let's meet in homes. And then eventually the heat got turned up so significantly that they weren't allowed to meet in homes anymore. And so they had to develop, you know this from church history, catacombs underground in order to meet in. 
But they said, you know what? Whether we can meet in the temple, meet in homes, or meet in catacombs, it doesn't matter. We're here to reach out and to reach in because that's what the church does. And guys, I'm telling you, there's going to be a little bit of a disruption to our campus over the next two years. But when you feel a little bit impeded, think of it this way. You don't have to meet in the catacomb. <laughs> you still have a room to meet in here. We have a chapel campus. So the worst that's going to happen to us is that your cherished parking place might not be there. <laughs> or the room that you're currently having an event in is going to be taken down for a better room to be built. That, that's the worst that's going to happen to us, Lord willing, in this process. And what God says is, don't you dare allow any of that to stop you from doing the outreach and the inreach that he has asked us to do. Amen. That, that's what God is asking us to do. And so I'm fired up to do that. And I, I will feel shame for my own life if we let anything get in the way. So here's what we're going to commit to today. I want you guys to pull out a card that's in your bulletin or in the pew rack in front of you or venue and cactus. Hopefully you have this card as well. I want everyone to have this in front of us. And it says on the card, reach someone, help someone. And we're going to do something really special as we wrap up our, our, our worship time here today. What I'm going to ask you to do is right now, as I'm speaking, or in a few minutes when we give you some reflection time, I want you to think of that one to four people in your life that God might want to reach. Or if they're a believer and just have fallen on hard times, that person that God might want to help. It might be a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a service provider, a family member, I don't know. And I want you to write, again, one or two names here. I wrote actually five or six names under reach. And then write down some names of people in your spheres of influence that God wants to help. And then here's what we're going to do. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that there's the Western Wall, what they call the Wailing Wall, where for 24-7, the Jewish people are praying in front of this wall. And if you visit Jerusalem, they actually allow you to write down some prayer requests and place it in the wall. And what we have built here on our, in, our, in our Shea campus, and then it's also over at Cactus and at Venue, is we have built some walls ourselves, and there's eight of them in this sanctuary right now. There's two back there, a couple on the side, and some down here, and then Cactus and Venue have their own walls. And as you can see from the previous service, people have rolled up their, their prayer requests of who they're praying for, and they've stuck them here. You've got to really roll it tight. Good trick. They've stuffed them here uh, in, in the wall. And what we're going to do is we're going to place these walls in between the cement pillars here. And for the next two years, when you come into worship and then Cactus and Venue, they'll have them placed there too in, in their congregations. When you come into worship for the next two years, you're going to see these every Sunday. And we hope that you can add more names to them as God leads. But these are the people that we're praying for. These are the people that we're asking God through Compelled by Grace to reach and to help. I had a woman last night came up to me in tears after the service. She was brand new, first time visitor, and she said to think that there will be thousands of people praying for the few people that I love and know, and that there'll be that much strength behind this just blows my mind. She literally was weeping as she told me that, and I said, you're right on, because that's what the church does. So we're going to give you some time to do this here in just a minute. Troy is going to lead us in, in some quiet singing, and then Carson and Cody will lead our venue and, and, and Cactus Campus. And as we do that, we invite all of you just to come up as God leads you, just to come up 
and to go to any one of the stations out here, there's some in the back and on the sides, and to place your prayers in here. And then please have a seat again because I'm going to lead us then in a closing prayer as we kick this off, and then Rick and uh, Rustin will pray over in the venue in the cactus. So let me pray for us now as we enter into this time. Father, one thing that we all share in common is that we all have people in our lives, every one of us, that need to be reached and need to be helped. And God, through the eyes of faith, we believe at the end of the day that you're the only one who ultimately can reach and help. But we're committed to being used in the process. So Lord, we begin today through prayer. And we begin today, Lord, through asking you to touch the lives of the people that we're thinking of now, that you're prompting us to right now. And as we enter into this time of profound worship, as we submit these names to you in a prayerful way, would you be honored, would you be glorified, and would you move in and through our midst, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.